Hello everybody, this is Brad Moore coming to you from Monroe, Louisiana, and you are listening to the one and only Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. I am back. I'm driving a nice red convertible instead of a crappy blue Chevy Nova. I've got a Detroit Lions jacket. God rest their poor souls. It's a tragic, tragic thing. I was so rooting for that team. They were on their way to the Super Bowl and then they, they do what they do. Choke! Yeah, they blew it. Yeah, they blew it. Hey, that leads me right into something that I forgot to mention last time. Yeah. The Mumford t-shirt that Eddie Murphy wears in Beverly Hills Cop yeah. was a actual high school in Detroit Okay, where I found out Allie Willis, who wrote the song Neutron Dance, that's where she went to high school. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the soundtrack on a, on a later episode. We're going to do the soundtrack versus the Miami Vice soundtrack. Oh, it's going to be great. But she's a part of the original, the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack. Yeah, for sure. She was working with the Pointer Sisters, right? She did, no doubt. Yeah. And they put Neutron Dance to that opening car sequence in Beverly Hills Cop is awesome. It's perfect. It's off the charts good. It sets the stage perfectly. And he's smashing cars and blowing crap up. He had an I-beam inside of his bumper to keep that thing from getting dented as he blasted through all of that. Can we talk about the practical effects where they're just destroying cars? <laughs> it was great. We're back today to talk about Beverly Hills Cop 1 versus Beverly Hills Cop Part 2. We keep leaking into Beverly Hills Cop 1. Well, that's because it's the better movie. Oh, your, your, your judgment is coming out here. Well, I can't help it. I mean, I just, like, I watched that movie. I mean, I enjoyed it in 1987 or 88 or whenever it was that I finally watched, you know, could sneak it on HBO or whatever. Right. And was able to watch Beverly Hills Cop 2. I liked it a lot. And I, but in rewatching it, I was just like, there are three things that I like about this movie. Three. Number one, Shakedown. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> number two, the Playboy Mansion Volleyball. <laughs> and number three, the 385 Club. And those are the only three <laughs> things that I like about this movie. Hey, listen, when you turn Eddie Murphy and Don Simpson loose and just say, <laughs> let's crank up Beverly Hills Cop 1 to 11, oh that's gosh. what you get. Well, and Beverly Hills Cop 2 was, I mean, the original idea, Simpson's original idea was for it to take place in London in Paris. That would have been fun. Did you look at the title of the movie? It's Beverly Hills Cop. It's not London Cop. It's not Paris Cop. It's not an American Detroit Cop in Paris. Yeah. Well, I here's the thing. Do I think that that would have been interesting? Well, I'm not positive, but it would have been different. Instead, yeah. we got basically a straight remake. Right. They upped the ante on a lot of stuff. They yeah. picked the stuff that they, that they like the best. And, and that was different. Here's where I think they missed the boat. I think that it would have been interesting to have you know, Bogomil shot and Rosewood and Taggart go to Detroit. That could be good. I think that that would have been interesting. Yeah, that could be good. You know? And maybe call it Beverly Hills Cops. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Alien Aliens thing. Do something different. Yeah. Okay. All right. So as I mentioned, Marty Brest did not direct this part two. Why did he not come back for part two? Because Well, they asked him. But he said, well, I already made my Beverly Hills Cop movie. I don't want to make it again. I want to do something else. Okay. And so he does Midnight Run instead, which is 
I mean, it's similar to a buddy cop movie, but it's his movie. Like most of the movies that he did were things that he had had a heavy hand in writing. Beverly Hills Cop is an exception to that. And so he wanted to do his own take on this. So Simpson and Bruckheimer are like, well, you know, we did just make this movie called Top Gun. It did okay. So let's get our man, Tony Scott. Yeah, they had pulled Tony. Again, Tony Scott was thinking he was hopeless as well. And this was a thing. This was a cool thing about Simpson and Bruckheimer is that they didn't, they didn't try to necessarily get guys who were doing great things. They tried to pick guys who they thought could do great things. I love it. It's and, like scouting talent. Yeah. So to throw back to our old Top Gun episode, Tony Scott had done this horrible vampire movie called The Hunger. It was terrible. It was yes. It was like no. I've never heard anybody speak in a complimentary way of this movie. It was it was an art house vampire terrible movie. Right, right. Right. With David Bowie. Is that right? And Susan Strandon. Wow. Okay. So nobody wanted to him to direct anything, right. but he did was doing commercials still. Right. He and his brother Ridley had this commercial company over in England. Yep. They did advertisements, and he did this one for the Saab car, I believe. Yeah. Right. That's right. And it had. Had a big jet in it. Yep. And they, the Bruckheimer and Simpson saw, see this ad and they're like, there's the guy that can do our aviator movie. Right. Obviously perfect for Top Gun because right. he can do cars. <laughs> right. You know? Well, it did have a jet in the in the ad, right? Right. And so so they bring him in and he does a great job. He liked to do artistic movies like The Hunger. And he wasn't getting it whenever they first started trying to do things with Top Gun. And finally, after many, many meetings with Simpson and Bruckheimer, he finally says, so you just basically want me to make a rock video that's a full-length movie? And they said, yes. Right. That is exactly what you we want you to do. So enter Beverly Hills Cop 2, and they say, give us another rock video. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, before we get off Tony Scott, I, I just want to talk about him for just a second. Yeah. Tragically, he committed suicide in 2012, I believe I think. that's right. Yeah, 12. Uh, I just love his movies, right? And you talk about how he wanted, he was more interested in making art house movies. But listen to this run, okay? So he does The Hunger in 83, which I thought sucked, okay? Well, he does Top Gun in 86, which I absolutely adore. Beverly Hills Cop 2, Revenge with Kevin Costner, Days of Thunder, Last Boy Scout, True Romance. Damon Wayans again. Crimson Tide, The Fan, Enemy State, Spy Game, Man on Fire, Domino, Deja Vu, The Taking of Pelham 123, and Unstoppable Before His Death. That list, those are all good movies. Okay. I, Man on Fire may be one of the few of those that I have seen. I kind of wonder if Damon Wayans, whenever he was auditioning for The Last Boy Scout, was like, I've already been in one of your movies before, you know? Of course, Tony Scott wasn't involved in Beverly Hills. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so, no, that's right. It would have just been, oh, yeah. Yeah. But it, there you go. You do have at least a a Kevin Bacon connection there. Right. <laughs> well, So I got to tell you this Tony Scott, Eddie Murphy story. Okay. Okay. So Simpson and Bruckheimer, they had just done Top Gun with Tony Scott. They don't need to be convinced. Right. But they want Tony Scott to meet Eddie Murphy, and let's make sure we get, you know, the chemistry right, and Eddie Murphy's cool with this, right? Because literally... Eddie Murphy is sitting on top of the world and really can call his own shot on this deal, right? So they fly Tony Scott out to New Jersey to meet with Eddie Murphy. So Tony Scott and Eddie Murphy go to a pool hall and they're playing pool. And Eddie plays a game and wins. And so they're going to play a second game and they're talking about the movie and they're working things out in their mind and they, they're, they're discussing it. And so in the middle of the game, Eddie goes to the bathroom or whatever, vanishes. And Tony Scott's just kind of standing there waiting and waiting 
and waiting. Middle of the game. Middle of the game. Like, it's your shot, Eddie. Where are you? <laughs> Had a ba- are you pooping? <laughs> Did you have some Taco Bell before we got here? So one of the guys in Eddie's entourage comes back and says, Eddie likes you. He's going to work with you. And he's like, well, I guess we're done playing pool. <laughs> and he just, just walked left. out. He didn't he even left. say goodbye. He just left. Wow. Yeah, so. prima donna indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, and that kind of goes back to what we talked about, the difference between how Eddie Murphy was with John Landis on Trading Places versus how they were together on Coming to America. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Okay. So let's talk about the production of Beverly Hills Cop Part 2. Wake up! This is what we always talked about. So look alive. You may never see it again. Okay. So here's the thing. Beverly Hills Cop Part 2 was initially not supposed to be a movie. It was supposed to be a TV series. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand how you make $300 million on a movie and then say, we should make a TV series out of this. I mean, is the money better for TV in the 80s? I can't think that that's possible. I don't think so. I don't get it. You think Eddie Murphy's going to make TV? Yeah. He said, no, I'm done with TV. I'm not doing that. And so they said, okay, I guess we'll make it a movie. Now, the original writers that were involved with it, keep in mind, Dan... Bach had written this thing in 1977. Right. I mean, it took it took years before it even became a movie. And then Dan Petrie gets involved and makes it into a comedy. And you've had multiple rewrites, including one by Sylvester Stallone. Right. And so by the time you get to let's make part two, let's feed off, let's whore off of the success of our original movie. They're like, okay, well, let's bring in some guys that have written some good scripts or rewrites that they've done that will give us a good movie. And so they say, all right. We've got Larry Ferguson, who we talked about in our Highlander episode. Woo. Yeah. Larry Ferguson's the writer of Highlander. Wow. And he also did Hunt for Red October. And he also came up when we were talking about what the heck happened with Alien 3. He was one of those five or six different writers that was involved uh, with Alien 3. And then they also brought in... Warren Scarron, who at this point was on the verge of something great because he had done Beetlejuice and he was about to help write Batman. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So they bring those guys in to write the script and the story idea comes from Eddie Murphy, or at least half of the story idea. Sure, sure. And so those guys come in, they put together the script as I mentioned just a bit ago, Marty Brest is out because he doesn't want to do another Beverly Hills Cop movie. He's doing Midnight Express. Midnight Run. Yeah. They wanted Hans Zimmer to do the soundtrack, and they're like, we should probably offer it to Harold Faltemeyer since, you know, he had the number one hit song that was part of Beverly Hills Cop I don't really get that because Harold Faltemeyer was all over Top Gun. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But as I said, original idea, London, Paris, Eddie said, I do not want to go overseas. So he nixed that one. So here's the deal. Eddie Murphy has all the power, right? Yeah, he made $8 million for this movie. That was his salary for the movie. And it's no, worth every penny. And probably had a you know production credit as well that got him even more money. But sure. that was, he walked in the door with $8 bucks in his pocket. So literally at this time, you're like, okay, Eddie, here's what we're thinking. Axel goes to Europe. And he's like, nah, I don't, I don't want to film out of the U.S., Okay, okay. Eddie says no. no that's it, right? <laughs> All right, scratch that yeah, off. Okay, bad Throw idea. Throw that script yeah. away. Where is this? Well, how did I come up with this? Uh-huh. Uh, how about TV? We're going to do TV? We, we're thinking we're doing an, a TV show. No, Eddie says no. Okay, back to square one. Yeah. And Eddie gets involved with the storytelling. Yeah. Well, and then here's what's interesting. The love interest character that was supposed to be the love interest in Beverly Hills Cop 
one, right? Right. With Sylvester Stallone, Sylvester Stallone makes a movie, right? He makes this movie Cobra. Yes. And as his love interest from the script that he wrote from what he did with the Beverly Hills cop, he casts in that part who Brigitte Nielsen. Bridget Nielsen, yes. And of course she had been in Rocky Four also with him. Right, yes, yeah. And 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 they were married. Uh, they were married at the point. They were that, that Beverly Hills Cop Two was getting cast. Until Tony Scott started sleeping with his wife. I don't know how you as a guy who's built like Tony Scott decide <laughs> I'm going to sleep with Sylvester Stallone's wife. Right. Wow. Uh-huh. You were you mentioned we were did trivia the other night and you mentioned I'm ready for the question of Name the actress that has had an affair with, and what's the list? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Red Sonja. Sylvester Stallone. Uh, Cobra, Rocky Four. yeah. Right. Flavor Flav. Oh, whoa, yeah. <laughs> and Tony Scott. Yeah, and that football player too, right? Oh, and Mark Gastineau, that's yeah, right. Yeah, She was living her good life, I she, guess. She is not afraid to try to latch on to different guys who can help her out. Yeah, well, and how can you blame any guy for getting caught up in that. Hey, listen, I want to talk about that for just a second. I want to get off in the the lurid details here, but when she did Red Sonia with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger was about to get married to Marie Shriver. Right, right. She was dating Sylvester Stallone, and Arnie and Sly had had this incredible competition. Oh, yeah, hated each other. And apparently, she and Arnold got very freaky. Like doing weird stuff. In their relationship. Okay. Well, this is PG thirteen episode, so we can't uh, go into that. that. No, we could, that's you could leave it. Let that, that you can't go further than that. <laughs> you've you've reached the door of the PG thirteen range. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So they decide there needs to be a six foot blonde in this, and now I just happen to have one in my back pocket. So how long would it take to shave those legs anyway? I suppose you're trying to be charming. Actually, I'm just offering my grooming services. Let's talk about the cast before. I mean, we we can talk yeah. about Brigitte Nielsen. Yeah, she had done, as we said, she had done Red Sonia, she had done Rocky Four, she had done Cobra, and now I mean, she's she's on a hot streak herself. Absolutely, she had done Playboy. Wow. Yeah. Google, Google search. search. <laughs> <laughs> so she's kind of one of the main bad guys in this movie. Yeah. Now this movie suffers because it has too many bad guys, in my opinion. Maybe, yeah. Who's the real bad guy, and what are we doing? Who cares? We're having fun. We're hanging out with Eddie Murphy, and we're driving cement trucks around. Right. Are you driving with your eyes open? Are you like using the force? So you've got Jurgen Prochnow, right. who plays Maxwell Dent. What else has he been in? He was in Das Boot. I was going to say, I feel like I remember him from Das Boot. He plays like the Jesus character in the the Demi Moore Seventh Sign movie from 88. That's right. That's it. That's what I remember him from. Yes. He actually dubbed Sylvester Stallone's lines in the German... The German dubbing, the German of, dubbing of, Sonia? of Rocky. Oh, of Rocky. Yeah. That's hilarious. Stallone's all over the place. Yeah. In fact, he's on a poster in Billy's apartment. Well, that's it. Like they're making it there. That was a joke. That was the inside joke because it's part two. They know that Cobra was made from right. Sylvester Stallone's version of Beverly Hills Cop. So in addition to that, the other throwback is that Judge Reinhold at some point opens up his trunk and just starts pulling out all of these guns, which is a throwback to his first meeting with Don Simpson, where Don Simpson had done essentially the exact same thing. Right. And Taggart says, F Rambo. <laughs> And, you know, somebody was effing Rambo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we've got returning in part two. We've got Eddie Murphy back. We've got Judge Reinhold back. We get Ronnie Cox a little bit. He gets shot early on. 
Well, he was filming RoboCop. He had gotten such a good reputation from playing the part that he did on the first Beverly Hills Cop that he he's tapped to play RoboCop with the not evil police chief, but evil corporate head, but still the same type of guy. Right? Absolutely. Then you've got John Ashton back as Taggart. Do I really look like Gerald Ford? Y'all both look like Gerald Ford. You yeah. get Paul Reiser back as Jeffrey. You get Gil Hill back as Detective Todd. I just thought that there was a problem. Don't think, Axel. It makes my and then you add kind of a hodgepodge of other people okay i want to go through this this is don simpson at his coked out finest right here okay <laughs> you get dean stockwell as a bad guy he's mr kane yeah you get gilbert Gottfried in a cameo that's so weird yeah his character's name is Sidney bernstein right he right. plays the accountant right and oh come in because the office door being closed is obviously an indication that you should walk right in <laughs> don't uh, let that stop you <laughs> my door is shut yeah yeah, so it's Sid Bernstein, I don't know if you remember this, but when we did our Best of 1984 just a couple of episodes ago, I mentioned that Laura Branigan, her manager's name was Sid Bernstein. She ends up leaving him to go with this other lady, and he sues her for $15 million. I don't know if the character has the huh. same name because of that, or if it's just a very good accountant name. But Sidney Bernstein. There you go. That's cool. You also get a cameo of Hugh Hefner at the Playboy Mansion. Guards? Yo, bloodhound? Billy, isn't this, uh... Yeah. No! And thank goodness for that. I mean... You gotta die sometime. 14-year-old <laughs> Jason was having a blast hanging out at the Playboy Mansion. You get Chris Rock in his big screen debut as a parking valet. Yeah. Yo! What the... Is up, man. Check this out. I get $10 for cars. I get $20 for limos. What the hell is this? <laughs> and then I was just going to make mention, one of the playmates at the Playboy Mansion is Miss Kimberly Heron. Hold on. Hold on. One of the playmates. Okay, so they're playing volleyball. Like, there, <laughs> there's no lines. There's no... One of the playmates, Jason Colvin, decided to do some research and figure out whatever the other things they've been involved in. I do a thorough job here at the Shirley Can't Be Serious <laughs> podcast. Thorough. So let me ask you this. Yes. Um, what's the name of the secretary at the gun club who actually has a speaking part? Her name is Valerie Wildman. Oh, all right. You only know that because I told you anyway. <laughs> we had this conversation off the air. I was like, do you know her name? And you're like, no, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I see where your research falls, my friend. I see what holes you go down. Let me finish my thought on Kimberly Heron, okay? <laughs> okay. She plays one of the girls in the ZZ Top videos, which we talked about in our ZZ Top... Eliminator. Eliminator. Yeah. And we also talked about her in Ghostbusters. She's the blowjob ghost. She is. Oh. And now here she is back at the Playboy Mansion. And then you have Mr. Alan Garfield, who plays Chief Lutz. Lutz and Biddle. Like kibbles and bits. <laughs> Kibble and bits. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's all I got on the cast. Not very exciting. Right. right. So this movie, as I said, I, I was not happy with the script. The difference between scripted lines and improv lines in part one, couldn't tell you. Like, I, I just couldn't because they they put it together seamlessly. With this one, I could tell that they were struggling to get out the lines that were on the paper. In some scenes and other scenes, I, I thought, they're just making stuff up. Like, this is just dumb, ridiculous stuff. And sometimes it worked, but a lot of times it didn't. Your case in point, Jimmy Wishbone or whatever. The Johnny Wishbone scene is... Yeah, uh, that, it's painful to watch. It was not. It was obnoxious. And the scene where he walks, he takes... He, he takes Rosewood's pills, his vitamins, and walks into the gun club and does this whole thing where he's terrified. 
what the heck is that about? Why did he have to do that? Why could he not just have walked in the door and said, can you point me to so-and-so's <laughs> office? I need to talk to Mr. Kane. Can you tell me where his office is? Is that easy? Yeah. Ah, it just trying to plug Eddie Murphy stuff in in a ridiculous way. Couldn't stand it. Okay. I've got a couple of things that they did right. Okay. We, let's talk yeah. about... Yeah, sure. Are we, are we already moving towards judgment? Uh, we can, we need some tidbits in here somewhere, but yes, sure. Okay. All right. Tell me about the things that you did that you think that they did right. Okay. So I do think that they didn't execute it well, uh-huh. but I think that this idea of having an alphabet crime is interesting. They stole it from Agatha Christie. It's called the ABC Murders. Well, I didn't know that, and so I thought that was good. <laughs> yes, it's a brilliant idea, right? That someone else had. Uh, okay. I mean, what? What? Why would you do that? Like, why would you give people clues as to who you're going to, like, what building you're going to rob next? There's lots of pieces of this movie that make no sense, right? Lots, lots. So you open with the robbery at the jewelry store, which is Tony Scott. It's exciting. Anytime you have somebody calling out now, 30 seconds. Yeah. You know, it's like point break. Yeah. You got the clock factor. You've got the pressure. But all I'm thinking is, why are you guys shattering all like you're going to slice your hands up? I mean, just do a simple break and like get in the side. What are you doing? It's just ridiculous. Or the fact that she's a six foot one blonde woman who's incredibly beautiful. And not in costume. Right. She was wearing sunglasses, <laughs> so I couldn't tell who she was. Uh-huh. So I like the alphabet crimes. I think that that was cool. Yeah, good job, Agatha Christie. Now, yeah. the, they shoot Bogomil for letter B right off the bat. It's kind of quick, you know, for... Yeah, like... He's, like, hot on their trail after right. one crime. I mean, and, yeah, they know he's hot on the trail because... Why? Because he's running in their oil pit, and he picks up some dirt. Right, exactly. That's it. That's it. That's all and, we need. And when you see his shoes later, I'm like, you couldn't glue that much dirt on his shoes that's on the ground. It was so over the top. I'm like, Oh, my dude, word. Like, I would not walk in the house with those shoes. Could you spoon feed it to us a little <laughs> bit more, please? Okay, let's talk about what they really did right, though. Okay, you got to tell me, because okay. I don't know. Well, they gave us a great soundtrack with great songs, and it's a rock video. If you stick with me, baby, I won't do you wrong, and we're gonna have some fun. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and disagree with you on that one. I listened to the entire Beverly Hills 2 soundtrack. Shakedown is phenomenal. Shakedown's Every- a number one hit. Everything else is meh. Are you, you tell me I want your sex? Number one, number two hit? That was, number one, it was not made for the album. It was just happened to get thrown in there. But it was already, I mean, it's already a big hit. They took a song that was already a big hit. No, 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 no. No, what? No, this You're is... telling me that I Want Your Sex by George Michael was written for this movie? Well, it was used for... I don't know if it was written for this no, movie. No, it was definitely not Faith written came for out this... in November of 87. I understand, but what I'm saying is I know he didn't write it. We, we've covered Faith. We know why he wrote the... He wanted to smash his image of the pretty boy from Wham. All I'm saying is that was a huge song the summer of 87, in part because of this movie. Yeah, it was a huge song because it was a huge song anyway, not because of this movie. I you get okay, the so strip club me, scene and so, you get well, I want your sex, which is fine. Right. So go ahead. What do you got else? I mean, Crush My Broken Heart by the Jets. The Wolfgrams. We talked about them. Terrible. Top 10 hit. Crush My Broken Heart. Terrible. <laughs> you get another Pointer Sister song. That sounds exactly like the other one, except not as good. That's true. I'll give you that. 
And then you get Corey Hart follow-up sunglasses at night. Yeah, and also terrible. And you get a cement uh, truck running through the streets That's of Beverly Hills. That's not on the soundtrack. That they escaped from a robbery, drove straight <laughs> to the Playboy Mansion, left the car parked outside. They parked an armored truck outside the most visible house in a 10-mile radius. <laughs> and that was their escape plan. And when they got out, they all looked like they were going to the Kentucky Derby. I mean, they were dressed... To the to the T. I mean, to, to go back to the gun room scene, he comes in to ask a question about a bullet, and in 10 seconds or less, Bridget Nielsen has seen him on the security cam, knows what he's talking about, comes and interrupts him to find out that he's a Detroit cop and comes in to tell the main bad guy, have him killed. Have I him know. killed immediately. <laughs> I know. Are you serious? I know. Hey, uh, do you guys know what this bullet is from? <laughs> Kill him. <laughs> Kill him. It's, yeah, it's very bad. But I, listen, I have a high affection for this movie. Yeah. I think it's a lot of fun. I told you it's like, it's like going to a party and you have a blast at the party and then when you get home, you realize that somebody had stolen your wallet. <laughs> What? You did not tell me this. What? Well, I, that's the cleanup version, right? Okay. <laughs> but I had a blast the whole time, and it's not until later that you realize, man, that didn't make any sense, but it was still fun. Yeah. All right, D, let's go into tidbits. I've got some great tidbits for you, and then we can talk about Final Judgment, because I could see you're itching to talk about that. Well, yeah, I'm ready to get this, this silliness over with. But <laughs> the nice part about this is we get to jump back to Beverly Hills Cop 1 and talk about a few things there. So very first scene that they filmed in Beverly Hills Cop 1, yes. very first scene, do you know what it is? It's the chase at the beginning, right? No, it is the strip club scene. Really? Yes. Which I, I mean, it's my favorite scene in the whole movie. Like if, if you, if you. <laughs> it's your favorite scene? Well, yes. Not, <laughs> yes. I, I realize how that came out. <laughs> I, I definitely enjoyed it as a young man for the stripping, of sure, course. Right. But no, the, the foiling of the crime, the guys who come in. Phil! Like, I can't tell you how many times that I've been sitting somewhere and it's been a warm day and I've seen somebody come in with a big jacket on. I'm like, is that guy going to rob the place? I'm watching that guy. Why has he got these long jackets on? Yeah, I love that. Yes, Phil. Anyway, so that's you the- change, first. man. <laughs> you change. That's the first scene that they shoot. And of course, Judge Reinhold is talking about the scene. He's like, I'm- I'm kind of awkward. This is awkward. We've got these girls. We're hours. And these girls are stripping over us. Dancing for hours. Yeah. And it's it's hard to, you know, concentrate with all of this. But, you know. But the song, Nasty Girl, you know where it came from? Nandy Six. Right. But do you know who suggested it as the song that be playing in the strip club? No. The stripper. Really? Yes. The stripper that was there was the one that said, uh, guys, I'd, I'd really like, I think you'd probably like this song. I would definitely dance to this song anyway. And that's how they put, that's how it got in the movie. Love it. There you go. Love it. Yeah. What else you got? Okay. So this was the highest grossing movie in 1984. We talked about that. And at the time, this was the third highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. Yeah. Can you name the other two? Uh, the Godfather? Yes. I don't know. What do you got? So The Godfather and The Exorcist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Finally nope. knocked off its perch by The Matrix Reloaded. Reloaded. Right. What? Right. Not the first Matrix, the second one that was crap. Right, exactly. That doesn't even make any sense. But, hey, go back. If you guys haven't heard our episodes on The Godfather Part 1 and 2 versus Goodfellas, go back and check those out. Those are fun episodes. And then also, we talked about The Exorcist when we did, last year, did our top five Halloween movies from the 1970s. Yes, we did. Yeah. Okay, I've got a couple of tidbits I'm dying to tell you, okay? Okay, yeah, give me. So, the banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> One of the highlights of the movie, right? It's hilarious. Yeah. 
Not fall into the banana in the tailpipe? Yeah. Okay. We're not going to fall for a banana in the tailpipe. You're not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe? <laughs> it should be more natural, brother. It should flow out like this. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. So I, apparently they did this on Mythbusters. Okay. And it didn't work. They couldn't get the car to stall out. Right. Hollywood magic, right? Right. Basically, the car would eject the bananas uh, and sort of ride itself. Were they using the same make and model of car? Was it a 1970s model Impala? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So that's kind of interesting. So whenever in the Beverly Hills Police Station, they're tracking Foley and Rosewood with the satellite tracking system. Yes. It did not exist at that point. It was a made-up thing that, of course, would later become a real thing of GPS. Oh, yeah. yeah. Love it. Yeah. Real. yeah. That's really cool. Okay, so Axel Foley wears a Mumford Phys Ed t-shirt throughout yes. the entire first movie. Mumford and Sons did not exist yet. It says Mumford Phys Ed. I know I had one. I had one of the shirt. Okay, right? yeah. So what, what is this? Well, it's got a couple of connections to the movie. Yeah. Allie Willis, who wrote the song Neutron Dance, grew up in Detroit, went to Mumford High School. We talked about Allie Willis when we did our Patreon episode on September, right? We Earth, did. Earth, Wind, and Fire. And best theme songs of the 1990s. We talked about her there as well. Oh, yeah, all right. Allie Willis went there. She saw it. She thought, well, they're honoring me you know <laughs> well it turns out jerry bruckheimer went to mufford high no school way. as well yeah and so did gilda radner as a matter of fact so this is a detroit high school this is a detroit high school so detroit high school has produced jerry bruckheimer gilda radner and Allie willis Allie willis wow that's crazy pretty cool yeah okay i'm dying to tell you this tidbit on location okay yeah okay. give it to me so at the very beginning of Beverly Hills Cop Part 1, after the cigarette diesel car chase, Axel, he goes to the police station, climbs up a set of stairs, and that's where Jeffrey grabs him. He's like, la, 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 I'm not talking to you. I'm not listening to Jeffrey, right? Right. Those stairs that he climbs up right there are the same stairs that Jeannie Bueller climbs to meet Charlie Sheen in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's the same setup, police station. Wow. Nice. Okay. okay. Yeah, a little different lighting. From one to the other. On it that is. One. Yeah. I got one more. This is kind of a deep cut for you. The Beverly Palm Hotel lobby that we, we actually spent a lot of time there. That was the same location where they shot Steve Perry's music video for Oh Sherry. Fantastic. Go hey. check out our best of 1984 songs. We just just a couple talked episodes. about it. That's fantastic. Okay. You ready for this one? Yes. In part two, uh-huh. when he comes into the gun club, instead of saying his name is Axel Foley, he says his name is Richard James. Right. Do you know who this is? That's uh, a reference to Rick James, Rick right? Rick James, bitch. Which, uh, you he, know, the connection to Eddie Murphy, right? Yeah, he produced his album, the album of Party All the Time, Party All the Time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, and we I know we talked about this for a minute, but uh-huh. on the set of Beverly Hills Cop 2, Brigitte Nielsen had an affair with Tony Scott. They were both married at the time. She ended up divorcing Sylvester Stallone. Tony Scott divorced his wife. It's kind of a disaster. Oh, my gosh. One more tidbit for you on Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yes. The song, Shakedown, was originally offered to Glenn Fry. Yeah, that's right. You know, Glenn Fry's from Detroit. Yeah, and he had had, he had had some success on the first album. He did. The Heat Is On was his song. Yeah, but he lost his voice. He couldn't sing. And so they went to Bob Seger. Well, and they wanted Bronson Pinchot to come back as well. Yeah. You know why he wasn't back? I don't. Because he was doing Perfect Strangers. Perfect Strangers. Same character on Perfect Strangers, yeah. That's cool. Okay, 
I do have one humongous gripe from part one. Really? I do. Okay, yeah, I want to hear this. This is like my, it takes me out of the movie. I hate it so much, okay? Okay. So Axel Foley, by the way, is running around Victor Maitland's mansion, okay? Yes. Which I've got another tidbit for you location-wise on this, okay? I, I feel like, number number one, I feel like you've talked about what you're about to talk about when we talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I did. To, so our like our third episode God, that was four years ago when we crazy. talked about it. That's crazy. All right, okay. go ahead. So the funny part is that the exterior of this mansion was shot at one house, and the interior shots were shot at a different house. Okay? Sure, not uncommon, right? Right. So the interiors were shot at what a house called, that has a name. Like, I want to have a house that has a name, right? It's called <laughs> Castillo del Lago, uh-huh. which means Castle of the Lake. Okay. okay. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about this Mansion where they're running around shooting up the inside of this. Bugsy Siegel lived here. That's That was his house. Bugsy. Bugsy. Yeah. And Madonna lived in this house for years in the 90s. And then Madonna stars with and marries Warren Beatty as he's playing Bugsy. There you go. Wow, that's nuts. Okay. Okay, but back to my... my or was that Dick complaint. Tracy? Was she in Bugsy or Dick Tracy? I can't remember. <laughs> she was in Dick Tracy. Oh, yeah. Well, she close She played enough. Breathless Mahoney in uh, <laughs> Dick Tracy. <laughs> Okay, you want to hear my big complaint from part one? Yeah, tell me. Victor Maitland pulls out a three fifty seven Magnum. Point blank shoots Axel Foley in the shoulder. It could blow his arm off. Mm-hmm. Now, he has a brief, painful moment, and from there, he doesn't even acknowledge that he's been shot. Yeah, I've never been shot. I think it would be painful. I think I would react like Lou Diamond Phillips reacted when he gets shot in Young Guns Part 2. I'd be screaming my head off. <laughs> but I don't know, because I've never been shot. They're all hanging out afterwards, and here comes the chief. And Axel, why haven't you gone to the hospital yet? Oh, I'm fine. He just got shot point blank in the shoulder, and he's just no problem. Yeah. Speaking of police chief, first one. Yeah. Police chief Hubbard. We didn't really talk about him. He no. does a. He's a great curmudgeonly guy, right? Yes. He kind of reminds me of uh, the grandpa off of uh, the Lost Boys. He does. Yeah. Anyway, when he walks in to do his scene. And he's yelling. He's got rolled up papers in his hand. Yeah, yeah, he does. It's actually a copy of the script because they kept rewriting and rewriting. (laughs) So he's literally trying to memorize the lines moments before he walks onto the screen and he brings the script in with him. Is this the man who (laughs) wrecked the buffet? (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. I got one more little tidbit that kind of ties this all back in, all right? Yeah. So Martin Brest got uh, Inspector Todd as a real homicide detective because he was in the D- Detroit police station, right? right? The problem was the Beverly Hills police station wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't let people in to see what it looked like. So all he could do was go, all right, I'm just going to do the exact opposite of what I saw in the Detroit police station. But in addition to that, and you think about what you saw in the Beverly Hills police station, he took his ideas, he took all of the conceptual designs that he had had for the NORAD scenes in war games and made that into his Beverly Hills police station. Now, if you go back and watch that movie and you see them looking at their screens, you can will immediately recognize, hey, this is straight out of the war games war room. Oh, I love it. Yeah. That's good. All right, I got a question for you. Yes. Beverly Hills Cop 1. Yes. I'm guessing you love this movie. I do love Beverly Hills Cop 1, yes. Okay. This movie involves stolen bearer bonds and cocaine. Yes. There's another movie in the 1980s that involves stolen bearer bonds and cocaine. Yes. Which of these movies do you prefer? Beverly Hills Cop or Die Hard? 
Uh, Die Hard. It's not even. It's not close. Okay. I mean, I love Beverly Hills Cop, but Die Hard is next level. It's 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 Mount Rushmore. So yeah, sorry. There you go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Very good. All right. Are we on to final judgment? Yes. I wonder if anybody wonders which one I'm going to pick. Why don't you lead us off? Well, I've said it over and over again. I was really disappointed when I rewatched Beverly Hills Cop 2. I, I rewatched Beverly Hills Cop 1 with my family over the summer. I was just like excited to watch it. And then when I watched it, I was like, I forgot how funny this was. So good. So well done. So well executed. Meaningful. Believable. All of it. Except maybe for the gunshot. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> And then I needed to watch Beverly Hills Cop 2. It's been a couple of decades since I've seen it, but I remembered loving it as a kid. But when I sat down to watch it again, from the very first scene, that very first bank robbery scene, I was immediately like, oh, this is, they're not doing this right. I don't know what's going on here. I expected better. You know, I expected, hey, we've learned some things and we brought in a new, very accomplished director and better screenwriters. And I think it all suffered. Like, I agree with you. Probably when I was a kid, I watched it and thought, oh, I had a great time. And then afterwards, I was like, wow, what what the heck was I doing there? Because that's what I was thinking the whole time. What the heck are they doing? Number one, it's convoluted. Number two, they did things that didn't make any sense. And number three, the the dialogue that they used was just off. It just nothing felt good about Beverly Hills Cop 2 for me. And when I told you this initially, you were like, have you seen Beverly Hills Cop 3? Yeah. And I haven't because I've known from the beginning that it's a bad movie and I don't watch, I don't deliberately watch movies that I know is bad, are bad. Right. So yeah, it's easily Beverly Hills Cop all day long, every day, twice on Sunday. I don't think I'll probably ever watch part two again. Wow. This is like your vacation great outdoors. Right yes, here. exactly. It's not even, it's a landslide as you put it. Yes, <laughs> it's a monumental landslide. Okay. All right. So, I told you initially, I told you when we first started doing this, that I have great affection for Beverly Hills Cop Part 2 because I was 14. It came out early that summer. I snuck into an R-rated movie. Eddie Murphy's going crazy and having fun and being his crazy F-bomb self. And I, I just thought it was great fun. It was full throttle. It's a Tony Scott movie. I love Tony Scott movies. The soundtrack, I think, is good. The fun is high. We have a scene at the Playboy Mansion. It was everything that a 14-year-old wanted to see. Right. However, upon rewatch, Beverly Hills Cop, the first one, is way better. Okay? Now then, I don't feel like you. I do think that there's value in Beverly Hills Cop 2. I still have a great time. But the scenes... That they, I mean, they absolutely hit out of the park in Beverly Hills Cop 1. I mean, the, the truck scene at the very beginning is out of this world. The strip club scene in part one, it shows Axel's competence, his ability, his talent. And the second one is just a chance to throw some boobs into the movie. He's more obnoxious in part two. Eddie Murphy says that Beverly Hills Cop 2 was a half-assed movie. I agree with him. Beverly Hills Cop is way better, although I still have a great time watching Beverly Hills Cop Part 2, especially since I've also seen Beverly Hills Cop Part 3. <laughs> and after watching Part 3, I think the value meter goes up on 2. Yeah. Now, they, do, they don't do everything right, but Part 3, they literally do everything wrong. You, I think your words were like a kick in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's if right. you want to hear more in-depth analysis of Beverly Hills Cop Part 3, go check out our buddies at the 30-something movie podcast. They did a full episode on it. They were not excited about the movie either, but they do a great job with it. I'm excited, though. I, I don't care. I love hanging out with Axel Foley. I'm ready 
this summer or whenever it's coming out. Yeah. To watch Beverly Hills Cop Part 4. We make a promise to you guys. If we can do it, we will see that movie as soon as it's released and we'll give you our review of Beverly Hills Cop Axel Foley. Okay, D, what do we have next week? Next week we have a little bit more Beverly Hills Cop, but now we're doing the soundtrack. You notice we didn't cover it in our movie part because we're doing the full soundtrack because it was an incredible soundtrack. And then we are taking another fantastic cop-driven soundtrack from the 80s, 1984 specifically, Miami Vice. Oh, man, I can't wait. That was such a moment in time. I can't wait to dive back into those songs and talk about that. You'll dig it the most, baby. (laughs) All right, guys, we'll see you back here next week. Bye, guys.